Man, forget Saved by the Bell. We need to have a whole series on Saved by the Pandemic. <laughs> now I'm thinking about Showgirls again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Welcome back to GC8. I'm Eric. And I'm Johanna. Today, we are going to be looking at some animated spinoffs from the films we recently talked about. But before we do that, what have you been up to, Johanna? I watched Benedetta this week, continuing on our Paul Verhoeven streak. I have to say, I was really glad that we had watched The Fourth Man. And if any of you are thinking about watching Benedetta, highly recommend seeing The Fourth Man first since there are a lot of callbacks to that film in this latest one. A lot of the Catholic gay horrorness <laughs> coming through in this latest film. And I was really glad that we had gone so deep into Verhoeven's archives to get a better sense of where he might've been going. But Benedetta was also great super violent. So another one of those films where I think I could rewatch the film and close my eyes in the same parts every time, but very well done. I have been watching YouTube videos react oh, no. <laughs> reacting to the Rings of Power trailers. And okay. <laughs> it's not pretty. So I've noticed this thing, it goes something like this. Studio spends exorbitant amount of money making a tentpole film that they're staking the entire studio's livelihood on, on some well-loved nerd classic. They do a crappy job with it, or at least it looks like they do a crappy job with it from the trailers. Hollywood being Hollywood is always trying to seek larger and broader audiences, which means more diversity in casting and stuff like that. And so some segment of toxic fandom slams it for its diversity casting. And then the studio uses that subset of phantom to write off all the criticisms of all the hardcore fans of that thing, whether it be Star Wars or Ghostbusters or, you know, and now Lord of the Rings. And so right now it's really interesting to see because there's this mini war going on between Lord of the Rings fans and the damage control at Amazon who has spent a billion dollars on this project, <laughs> like the most money ever spent on one of these things. And I got to say, some of it is fandom complaining about colorblind casting and stuff like that. Some of it is legitimate criticism, though. I think the filmmakers are like complete novices. It's not like Peter Jackson, who's made like all these films before he even attempts Lord of the Rings. They're complete novices. They have the rights to a very slender part of the lore. And they fired, they fired the one Tolkien expert that was working on the project. And so fandom really got outraged about that because he was kind of the, the safety net that it was going to remain <laughs> true. <laughs> It's highly entertaining. I recommend looking up some of these videos on YouTube. The criticisms are in some cases out there, but in some cases, very legit. Yeah, I'll check it out. I have to say, I saw the Super Bowl spot and was very underwhelmed. I guess I kind of buried my head in the sand and just 
thought like, all right, I'm going to wait. <laughs> I'm going to wait for something, something new to drop before I start feeling about this, but I will look at those reaction videos. Correcting the record. This is not a mistake we made. Both you said something and I said something. We were both like partially right. We were both partially wrong. So I figured a correcting the record was worth putting in here, which is we were watching Starship Troopers and I said something like, they don't fight bugs until more than halfway through the film. And you said, no, it's like in the first five minutes. And then I said, Rico's people don't. And you said, yeah, there's a lull in the middle. So I went back and checked. And there are a few glimpses of bug fighting in that opening shot montage, the why we fight propaganda video, but it's seconds long. And that is scene five in the montage of 178 scenes in this movie. Bugs do not reappear in the movie until scene 100. So like what? <laughs> So more than halfway through before we see bugs again. Uh, so it's true, we do see bug fighting in the first five minutes, but it's very, very briefly, and it's mostly training stuff and background relationship and stuff like that for the first hundred scenes. So that scene where the camera crew is there and they're reporting and then get murdered, that's halfway through the film? Something like that, yeah. Oh, yikes. <laughs> Yeah, we are going to talk about Roughnecks, the Starship Troopers Chronicles, an early CGI animated TV show uh, spinoff from Starship Troopers, the movie. It came out in 1999. So let's do a little background to the year 1999. In 1999, much of the IT field was busy trying to mitigate the upcoming y2k bug and people laugh about that now but part of the reason it turned out to be almost nothing was because there had been legions and legions of programmers actually fixing code for years leading up to it gas was a dollar 17 a gallon motor trends import car of the year was the volkswagen beetle aka the vw bug the last car to receive that award now I have my news stories broken down by category. So January 5th in animation news, The Rescuers was released on home video. Then all 3.4 million copies were promptly recalled three days later when two frames of nudity that had gone unnoticed for 20 years were found in the original print. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, Wait, rescuers. the Rescuers? <laughs> the Rescuers. Yeah. So someone pulled a Tyler Durden on the rescuers <laughs> and it went unnoticed for 20 years until they went to release it on home video. And they actually released millions of copies and then had to recall them all. What? All right. Yeah. <laughs> I will be talking a lot about animation news because we're talking about animation here. January 20th in worm news. Happy 99, the first major internet worm first appears. And other than self-propagating, it does no real damage. But between 9,000 and 15,000 computers are infected, which I guess was a lot for the time. <laughs> February 11th in space news, Pluto's orbit takes it 
further from the sun than Neptune for the first time since 1979, making it the furthest planet in the solar system until 2231 when Neptune will again overtake it. March 31st in worm news, the second major computer worm, Melissa, cripples hundreds of computer networks. Its biggest casualty, the United States Marine Corps, whose email is shut down. Worms versus Marines? Yeah. Yes. yes okay. <laughs> in bug news, in May of 1999, SickGal, the SickGal program is started in Ecuador. Don't ask me what SickGal stands for because it's an acronym from the Spanish. But it started to combat the biggest threat to the Galapagos archipelago, invasion by alien insects. May 11th, in big bug news, the Tate Modern opens with artist Louise Bourgeois' massive sculpture, Mammon, one of the largest bronze castings ever made, a 30-foot-tall giant spider. May 17th, in Marines news, the USMC decided that blood-red stripes should not adorn the skirts of women Marines. The Marine Corps Uniform Board selected certain women Marines to wear the blood stripes on their skirts and solicit opinions. The stripes were not well received. <laughs> June, in animation and worm news, the South Park character of Kyle is used as the icon for Pretty Park, the third major email worm which spreads through Central Europe in June. July 21st in Space News, the Mercury capsule Liberty Bell 7, astronaut Gus Grissom's spacecraft, which sank 145 miles, 230 kilometers, east-northeast of the Bahamas, was successfully recovered from a depth of 16,000 feet, which is 4,875 meters deep, deeper than the Titanic, 38 years to the day after it was, after it was lost, it was recovered. August 30th in animation, space, worm, bug, and Marines news, Roughnecks, the Starship Troopers Chronicles debuts. End scene. <laughs> scene. My main question I wanted to answer was, why does this look the way it does? I didn't remember animation being so far behind in 1999, considering how awesome Toy Story looked in 1995. <laughs> so I was sort of surprised to see that they didn't even get close to Toy Story levels of animation. It was originally conceived as a 2D show and I think there's good reason. The writing is not very strong and it's clear that it was rushed but it was rushed even more so because Sony decided that they wanted to tap into some of the quote unquote cutting edge CGI 3D animation that was happening around 99. And they contracted Foundation Imaging to take over the show. Foundation is best known for their work on Babylon 5. And most of the Star Trek TV shows from Voyager onward, Voyager, DS9 and Enterprise. They also updated the effects on the first Star Trek movie before its director's cut DVD release in 2001. And that was pretty much their last project before they shut down. So Foundation Imaging, kind of a short-lived company, and they failed to keep up with the production schedule. So Sony ended up actually bringing in two other animation companies to try to finish the job. 
But ultimately, of the 40 planned episodes, only 36 were made. And some of the holes in the storytelling were filled in by episodes that were clips episodes, kind of a recombination of footage found in existing episodes and some unfinished pieces from these four missing ones. Ultimately, the series ends on a cliffhanger, which was entirely unintentional, (laughs) and it was canceled after one season. Some fans speculate that in addition to the production troubles and the failed timeline on putting this together, some of the other obstacles the show faced was that it aired between 5 and 6 a.m. in the morning on the Sci-Fi Channel, And the Sci-Fi Channel actually didn't even get proper licensing for the show. So there was some serious distribution trouble. Fans have done their best to try to keep the love alive for Roughnecks. Eventually, the shows were released on DVD, not in the order they were created, but in the order of how much fans liked those various seasons. By seasons, I actually mean campaigns. The way the show is constructed is... It was meant to have five episodes per week, and each week would be some sort of military campaign on a planet, and they got kind of packaged together that way in these DVD sets. Surprisingly, this show was actually executive produced by Paul Verhoeven, so it had his blessing somewhat, and the producer Richard Rainus is one of the main producers on The Simpsons, so there were some strong creative minds driving the ship here, but Funny little side note about Richard Rainness. I was reading through his filmography to figure out what went wrong with Roughnecks. And turns out he actually got his start as an uncredited background animator in Bakshi's animated Lord of the Rings in 1978. And we will certainly be covering Bakshi in a later episode. But once you see Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, it'll explain a lot about what what is happening here in Starship Troopers, uh, the animated series. The first episode kind of reestablishes the relationships between the various characters. One of the most prominent things that jumped out at me is the relationship between Rico and Dizzy, which actually seems a lot more collegial than in the movie where it seems like she's there just to complete a love triangle. You get to see her in a different way. One thing that jumped out at me, and I'm wondering whether this continues in later episodes, is that the tone of this entirely lacks the self-aware parody that Verhoeven's film has. The show seemed to me to be very serious, very pro-military, you know, very much in line with things in that genre and didn't have any of the fun or flavor or political commentary that the film has. I think that in the United States, it's not like Japan or other parts of the world. People consider animation to be cartoons and cartoons to be for kids. And that's how this was going to be marketed. I think given how many adults completely missed the black humor of it, they weren't even going to go there for a kid show. That's my guess. It remains fairly much kind of like G.I. Joe in space. You know, that's kind of what it is. I was doing computer animation at the time, and I remember that this was causing a little bit of a buzz because computer animation at the time was very advanced in some places. Pixar really advanced it. 
but there's a reason Toy Story they decided to use toys to make the first mm. feature film they made, which is that computer animation at that time was very good at rendering plastics and metals and very simple shapes. It was a lot harder to do humans. So if you see the few times we see humans in Toy Story, they're not that great. Now this with this much smaller budget and a quicker turnaround time, they're not going to look, they're going to look even worse. But it was the first time we got reasonably human looking humans in computer animation on TV, which is why it was a big deal at the time. The Pluto campaign I thought was nice because like an animated sci-fi that I really loved as a child, Star Blazers, it starts in our solar system and then they move out further and further as the series goes. So the Pluto campaign is their first encounter with the bugs. In October 12th of 1999, the episode Water, Water Everywhere comes out, which is episode six of the first season. And it's the first episode of their next campaign. Basically, the Roughnecks first encountered the bugs on Pluto, and then they realized that that's not where they're from. And they trace them from Pluto to a water planet, Hydora. Uh, it's mostly water, not entirely water, but mostly water with an inhospitable oxygen and hydrogen atmosphere. And so this starts their second deployment, which is called the Hydora campaign. This is also the episode where we find out for sure that the humans and the bugs are bent on unilateral annihilation. Neither one is going to stop until the other one is completely wiped out. I liked this episode because it had good science. For example, the saturated atmosphere of Hydora, they mentioned you can't breathe it because it would be like drowning in the mm. water vapor but also that it interfered with radio communications, which is true. Water interferes with radio communications. Also, the animation was good for its time, but they look much better when they're in armor. So just like the Toy Story thing, when they're completely in the armor and the fact that they have power armor in this, which they did not in the live action, is kind of a thing in its favor. Unarmored, on the other hand, they lack any kind of convincing human physique, in my opinion. And this part of it has not aged well. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like one of the things that reminded me of visually was Halo, the video game, but sort of notably in Halo, you'd never see their faces. <laughs> you just see the the helmet. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Kind of kind they of probably should have done there. that, but you know. They had established yeah. characters and well uh, and and this tv show predates halo by a couple of years halo was 2001 so who knows maybe this even laid the groundwork for that kind of off-world military thing the closest thing we get to a sandworm is the moth-like transport bug on a sandy beach so eh not so overall after watching the Pluto campaign and the Hydora campaign, I think it's about as good as non-anime kids sci-fi cartoons got at that time. But over the long haul, it gets kind of G.I. Joe-ish, as I mentioned. 
So overall, I give it like a three out of five stars somewhere like. Eh. Oh, man, that's so generous. I, yeah, I, for me, it's the, the blatant, you know, fascism <laughs> coming through in this show that, that you know, everything I loved about Starship Troopers is absent in this show. And instead it retains like the worst of some of my least favorite genres. <laughs> so fair enough. Okay. So let's move on to Beetlejuice from about a decade earlier in 1989. A little background to 1989. The average cost of a gallon of gas was a dollar. One dollar. <laughs> One dollar. Oh boy. <laughs> I wish Rosie was here for this part. January 22nd, the San Francisco 49ers win Super Bowl 23, beating the Cincinnati Bengals 20 to 16. February, the Soviet Union pulls its last troops out of the nine year long war in Afghanistan. March, the revolutions of 1989 hit their peak in communist countries around the world. This will ultimately lead to the end of one party rule in dozens of nations from Albania to the Ukraine over the next few years. June 10th, the HBO series Tales from the Crypt debuts. Oh, yes. <laughs> the only other TV show other than Beetlejuice that was produced by the Geffen Company. It had an opening theme by Danny Elfman. Mm. July 25th, hours after overcoming legal challenges in Delaware Supreme Court, Time Inc. and Warner Communications merged to become the largest media conglomerate in the world. That's the shark meter. <laughs> August 12th, Great White's cover of Once Bitten Twice Shy peaks at number five on the Billboard charts. <laughs> September, the TV show Beetlejuice premieres. This show was so popular, it aired simultaneously on ABC as a Saturday morning cartoon and also on Fox on weekday afternoons before eventually, I guess, going to syndication on Cartoon Network. But this is basically unheard of for a TV show to air on two networks at the same time. That was a remarkable bit of trivia. I didn't remember the show being that hot, but uh, I suppose with Tim Burton and Danny Elfman behind it, it you know was off to a good start. There were four seasons which aired between 1989 and 1991, the lion's share of the episodes being in the fourth season with 65 episodes. The other seasons are all pretty normal, <laughs> but 65 episodes in the fourth season was quite a lot. The first three seasons were directed by Robin Budd. This was his directorial debut, but it would interest our fans to know that he was an uncredited animator on the Star Wars holiday special. Uh. So <laughs> just, you know, I I like to to bring our creatives down to their lowest possible moment here in, in my recap of their illustrious careers. Likewise, the director of the fourth season was John Van Bruggen, a Canadian animator best known for seasons one and two of Franklin. His career is actually pretty great. He worked on a few pretty well-known shows and his wife, Arna Selznick, directed the Care Bears movie. And if you look at the IMDb pages for Beetlejuice, you will see that basically everyone was somehow involved in the Care Bears. So just to put that in your head, you've got Care Bears on one end of the spectrum and maybe Beetlejuice on the other end. I don't know. 
or maybe this is why this Beetlejuice is so different from the film because it is Beetlejuice plus Care Bears. <laughs> the writer Patsy Cameron worked on a couple of shows that I remember loving as a kid, like The Smurfs and DuckTales and Alvin and the Chipmunks. So the writing was good. Animators had salad chops. Stephen Ouimet, who voiced Beetlejuice, is a veteran voice actor and also a Shakespearean actor for the Stratford Festival in Canada. The show won an Emmy for Outstanding Animated Program in 1990. And it made some pretty significant changes from the film, but I would argue overall stayed true to some of the feeling of, of the film. And I think that's why it managed to last for four seasons, which is actually much more than I thought it did. Some of the major changes, which we'll discuss when we get into the episodes. In this version, Beetlejuice and Lydia are best friends instead of Predator and Prey. <laughs> um, so significant difference there. And instead of Beetlejuice's home being the afterlife, it is referred to as the neither world. And living characters like Lydia and her frenemies are able to travel back and forth in a way that we don't see in the film. While Tim Burton was executive producing this show, he was also working on Batman, which was his immediate follow-up to Beetlejuice, and Edward Scissorhands, which ended up starring Johnny Depp, but originally at the top of his shortlist was none other than Gary Oldman. Everyone! Yes, all roads lead to Gary Oldman. There, I succeeded. <laughs> okay. The first episode I watched was Skeletons in the Closet, Season 1, Episode 2B. And it came out in September 23rd of 1989. And basically, Beetlejuice has a closet full of skeletons. And when every time he tells a lie, there's another skeleton in the closet. And... When he tells one more lie, the overstuffed closet bursts open and all the skeletons get out. So the pro here for me was that the animation was pretty good. But the cons were the skeletons were actually ghosts, not skeletons. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> you know, um, the story was a very preachy lesson about telling the truth. And of course, there were no sandworms. So that's kind of my pros and cons for that episode. The next episode I watched was called Aha, which was season two, episode 20B. And Doomy, which is their car, disappears. So Beetlejuice as Sherlock Holmesy, a Sherlock Holmes character, tries to solve the mysteries. Pros, the animation is pretty good. And it also has the big hairy monster from the Warner Brothers cartoons included as like yes across the street i liked that cons it was mystery themed without there actually being a mystery so that kind of whatever a lot of the jokes fall completely flat and that's something i noticed throughout this series there's a lot of dad jokes and they even as dad jokes they fall flat and then again there was no sandworms so I'll hold off on my overall impression of Beetlejuice entirely while we do your episodes from season four. I chose two episodes and I wanted to try to find two examples that were typical of this season. As you can imagine, 
they started to run out of ideas for organic things that were going to happen and started to turn more towards allusions to other films and parodies by the time you get to the to the fourth season so i did one example that was a typical kind of episode called foreign exchange where Lydia belongs to some sort of special club at her school and her arch nemesis slash friend Claire, who is a rich Heathers type girl, <laughs> is sort of how I picture her in my head, is hoping to bring a foreign exchange student who's a prince from Sweden and then it turns out that the exchange student is actually a girl. Lydia becomes her friend, but it becomes an adventure for Lydia and Beetlejuice to play tricks on Claire and show her what a horrible twat she is. Um, I'm sure and, they used that word in the cartoon too. Yes. <laughs> it was a very interesting example of this kind of new dynamic that they're playing in this kid's show of Beetlejuice being Lydia's fun friend who actually dresses up as a schoolgirl for a good part of the episode and goes to school with her. It's very un-Beetlejuice-like behavior in my book. This episode was not my favorite. It, it reminded me kind of of more typical, you know, kids' TV shows that just happened to have a magical character in it. However, the other episode I watched, episode 58, Robin Hood of Share Weird Forest. And I deliberately chose this one because every good animated you know like think of Bugs Bunny or like any they all have a Robin Hood parody so I wanted to see how this Robin Hood parody stacked up against others and it you know other than the fact that the the humor is extremely pun heavy it actually held up as kind of a Beetlejuice twist on the Robin Hood story I thought you know, of course, there was the predictable sheriff of Rottingham, which I feel like that pun shows up even in like real adaptations of, of Robin Hood. So that was a little bit predictable. You know, it had, uh, again, the same kind of moralizing you alluded to before. The lesson is Beetlejuice to try to be a hero and, you know, rob from the rich and give to the poor instead of robbing from the rich and keeping for himself, which is what he wants to do. The other thing about this episode that was interesting is... It brought up a part of the show that I had really forgotten as a kid, which is that Beetlejuice eats beetles, is obsessed with beetles. Like, this is not a thing in the movie, like, you know, because he's named after a star. And here it is, the whole plot is that he goes to this forest because he hears this is where all of the, there's like a beetle farm or something, and he's trying to steal the beetles because he likes to eat them. I did not remember this part. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right deep sigh <laughs> so overall i was unimpressed uh you complain about starship troopers not being true to the spirit of the movie like not having the any sort of comedy to it and just going straight action or whatever this does the same thing there's no beetlejuice is, to me was not scary at all in this it, it was all just humor but it goes even further in that it totally doesn't square with the film premise like at all. Like Beetlejuice is like Lydia's friend and their best buds. And like, do you remember who this guy is? Do you remember what he tried to do? Like, it's like the movie never happened. This has nothing to do with the movie. That kind of really bothered me. And like I said, I didn't laugh once during it, which is not true of 
the other like the bugs bunnies and stuff like that mm -hmm. and frankly i think that warner brothers would start producing much better content on their own like immediately following this after this they decide to start doing their own animation we get tiny tune adventures animaniacs and pinky in the brain batman the animated series all of that comes like in the year or two after this this show you know so maybe it helped open the door to that so i'll give it credit for that but overall i i i didn't really like it that much i know this was super popular and a lot of people loved it and i don't get why because i think there are a lot of other cartoons even from the time that we're airing that i would rather watch yeah or cartoons from the 1970s like all of the hanna barbera cartoons are amazing um, yeah or any of those one robin hood daffy you know I think this was a rich palette they could have drawn from, but they just didn't, it didn't gel for me. I have never heard so many snare and cymbal, and I have rim also, shots, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have not heard so many rim shots in a 20 minute span in my life. Likewise, we say womp womp as like a joke, but I'd never actually witnessed this in a television show before. And the number of times that they use that tuba sound effect, womp womp, I was like, oh my God, this is where it came from. This is the only show that's ever used it. Everyone has seen Beetlejuice, the animated TV series, and this is what they're referencing. And then you add in that every one of them has like this preachy moral thing, which I think they felt like they had to do at that time because TV was getting cracked down on for like not being educational enough for kids or something. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what was going on behind the scenes at the time, but that doesn't help this show either. What's kind of interesting about it is in the two episodes I watched, they still managed to sneak in a little bit of a threat of a teenage girl getting taken by an older man I, it's like i don't even know what what verb to use to describe what they're implying but like in the robin hood episode lydia who starts off as beetlejuice's sidekick becomes maid lydia and they refer to her as beetlejuice's main squeeze which was really upsetting <laughs> and um and then in the other episode i watched like the main plot is that this girl claire you know they trick her into into going to this faraway country that is actually in the netherworld and Beetlejuice pretends to be some sort of foreign prince to seduce Claire implying he's going to marry her and stuff and then you know she's horrified because he's gross and you know makes fart noises with his armpit which I was like okay but but still like even you know picking the two episodes at random it feels like they've castrated this character but on the other hand they still managed to, to sneak this in in kind of a a way that was going to get by the censors and had none of the fun none of the you know intentional darkness and all of just the casual like sure if there's a female character in this show of course she's going to be in danger of being raped that's just the way television is anyway sorry i'll get off my soapbox now <laughs> okay well I think that uh, we'll wrap this up here. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you have strong opinions about, like, I would really like to know the people that loved the Beetlejuice cartoon, tell us why. Uh, same thing with Starship Troopers, the animated show. If you have fond memories of that, let us know. You can write us at gc8podcast, letter G, letter C, number eight podcast at gmail.com. And right now, 
the best way you can help the show other than subscribing yourself, tell somebody, get one other person to listen to the show. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Johanna. Signing off.